Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. tell you something about the work of God it's work it is work and uh, but I'm thankful to be a part of the of the work of God I just feel like the Lord directed my paths today and um, you know you know this very obvious statement but I'll make it anyway I don't have any idea who's going to be in any given service and so I don't plan my service or my message around the service I just ask God to touch my heart and he knows who will be here in this service present. And he knows who will watch or listen to this service later. And I feel like the Spirit of God just wants to do something here this evening in the hearts of someone. And so if we um, will have a hard time swinging on the chandeliers, but that was what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to run in the foyer do that, I guess. But uh, um whether we do that or not, I believe the Spirit of God wants to just divinely step in this evening. And because of that, I want us to pray over his word and uh, ask him to just move. And so I, I want to say this to uh, each and every one of us. We bear responsibility to keep all the pressures of, this, of whatever you got going on after church or whatever you may have pressing in your schedule tomorrow or the rest of the week. Let's just kind of keep that pushed out of our mind and let's let the Spirit of God walk in this place. Can we do that? Lord, I love you today. And I ask you to allow your power and your presence, Lord, to just flow through me tonight. A vessel that is uh, flawed, a vessel that is far from perfect, but I am tonight chosen to deliver your word and I'm very humbled by that. So I ask you this evening to let the power of your word just flow through Lord tonight and let it touch the hearts and the minds and the spirit of men and women that are in this house and let your presence heal and let your presence touch us and let us be whole in Jesus name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Tonight, I am going to take my text from the book of Genesis, chapter 41. And I want to preach to you from this thought. Let Ephraim be born. Let Ephraim be born. And uh, maybe that will make more sense as we uh, go along here tonight. But in the book of Genesis, chapter 41, and verse number 50, the Bible talks about Joseph having two sons and with these two sons Joseph was very strategic and very intentional in naming his sons of course in the in the scripture bible names or names in the bible are very significant and it's always a wonderful thing and a um, to take the time 
to look up those names and see what the meaning of that would be. And so if we look at chapter 41, picking up at verse 51, the Bible says, and Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And then he gives the reason or the meaning of Manasseh. For God, he said, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so with the help of the Lord, I want to speak about letting Ephraim be born. In, in life, there is absolutely no way around it, but we're going to have trouble. The Bible talks about man of few days, full of trouble. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. And those are just rudimentary uh, facts of life. They're just fundamentally true. It's to the rich, to the poor. It's to any ethnicity. It is in the human race, in life, we are just going to have problems. We're going to have afflictions. And I've said often, the scripture talks about let us run the race that is set before us. And so all of us have a race to run. It won't be identical. We will not face all the same things, of course, that somebody else may face. But sometimes we're just gonna face obstacles. Those obstacles could be health issues. They could be financial issues. It could be family issues. The list could go on and on. But in the midst of all of the trouble, I just wanna be very factual and real that sometimes in life, we're going to just face wrongdoing. Someone is just going to do you wrong. And uh, you, you, you may have something stolen from you. You may have something said about you. But that is a fact of life. It just rains on the just and the unjust. We often expect these issues to befall us from people we may consider to be our enemy. There are people that we would expect to take advantage of us talk about us unjustly or unduly or criticize us, tear us down. There are just some people in life that are gonna fight you on every issue. If you like blue, they want it red. There's some people on your job that just do not like you and they don't even know you. They just made up their mind somewhere along the line and injustice happened or in their mind something crossed and they don't really know you as an individual. They don't know you as a father or as a mother. They don't know you as a son or a daughter. Uh, they just formed some opinion made somewhere perhaps in a bubble of a moment and they just made up their mind there, drew a line in the sand and they live and die by that. Those are people that we may refer to as an enemy. Now I know that we don't like to think about we would have an enemy but the scripture also warns us to beware when all men speak well of you. So it does us good sometimes when, uh, when someone, the right people are not on our team, they're not on our side. And uh, so when we suffer an attack from an enemy, we kind of brace ourselves and we fight the fight, pick up the pieces and we bind our wounds and we just move on because that's just life and that's how that happens. And, and uh, sometimes you don't move fast enough at a red light. And your foot on the brake is not quite as fast as their hand on the horn and their hand in other places. <laughs> uh, and so you realize that just all of a sudden you, you've, you've got an enemy. Uh, 
And we understand that. We understand that in life, those things are going to happen. But one of the hardest things to overcome is when wrongdoing comes our way and it's from someone we consider a friend or perhaps even family. That family could be spiritual or that family could be natural. One of the hardest things to understand is when we are done wrong from within. Now, I want to be real clear. I'm not talking about supposed wrong, in our opinion wrong, in our twisted and jaded and all about me, me, me wrong, but when we've been done out and out wrong, that a blind jury could see that you were done wrong. The military has a term for incidents where a soldier is shot by another soldier or wounded from another soldier from the same country, and that's called friendly fire. But we can't be thrown off by the word friendly in that phrase because whether that injury was accidental or on purpose, friendly fire has to be reckoned with. Friendly fire may mean that there's a funeral to conduct and a family that is trying to pick up the pieces of a tremendous void that's been left in their life. Friendly fire could mean, even if it doesn't mean death, it could mean years of psychological or emotional and or even physical therapy to overcome an injury that was given by someone on the same team. And so families have all of that to reconcile and yet we would fly that under the banner of friendly fire. We expect to be hurt by our enemies so we protect ourselves. You, you put locks on your door and uh, if you're like us in our home, you know, I don't know how many times we would we could be on an island somewhere retired in Tahiti if we had just a dollar for every time we were in the bed and one of us said, are you sure? <laughs> and we go back and sure enough, even though you were fairly sure you want to make sure because you realize that lurking in the darkness, there are enemies. There are people there to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we expect to be wounded or infringed upon by people like that, but we admittedly leave ourselves somewhat vulnerable when it comes to people that we consider friends or family. We think, I don't need to protect myself here. I can lower my guard. I can be myself. We don't feel the need to put on armor or we don't, uh, we don't feel the need to be guarded around people that we think love us. We expect to be able to find rest, comfort, safety, and peace in the house of our friends. But the sad fact of the matter is this, is that sometimes we are wounded in the house of our friends. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I didn't come to paint your world gray tonight, so don't give up on me. If you get up and leave service right now, you're going to say, whoo, wow. But if you'll just hang in there, we've got, a, we've got a remedy if we can just stay together. The prophetic statement concerning Jesus found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah 13 and 6 says this, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. That doesn't even seem like a phrase are words that ought to be pressed into the same sentence. Wounded in the house of my friends. It hurts so much more. It's a unique hurt to be wounded in the house of our friends. Sometimes we think those that should protect us 
actually attack us, it is hard to reconcile that in your mind. Sometimes those that we think should accept us push us away or ridicule. And sometimes the, the place that we think we should feel the safest is the very place that we feel the most vulnerable. The sanctuary, the house of God, spiritual families or even natural families, it ought to be a no hunting zone. It ought to be you're safe here, but sometimes it is a battlefield. The house of our friends, a house that should provide love, it should provide security. Sometimes that very entity can be the birthplace of strife in our lives. People that we think should be supporting our dreams, propagating our dreams, helping us breathe life and sustain our dreams become the very people that try to destroy, dismantle, or even dismiss the process. And so we've had to face hard facts. And I could ask for a raising of hands tonight. I won't do that because I already know the count. All of us could raise our hand and say, I've been wounded in the house of my friends. We've all been there. Now, we didn't come here tonight to build a fire and warm our hands over all the heartaches of our past. I'm just trying to lay a foundation for just a moment. When Samuel, the prophet Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel, when he spoke to Jesse, the head of the house, it was David's own father that was somewhat dismissive in his tone to Samuel when he brought out all of his brothers intentionally leaving the youngest brother. And it was after Samuel continued to drill and drill and drill, are there not any more left of your house? And his own father, again, somewhat dismissive, well, the youngest, the youngest, he's out tending sheep and there's, there just seems to be a spirit of condescension in all of his reply. And it was his own father who was seemingly discrediting him. He's not only the youngest, but he's just tending sheep. It's a lowly, it's a lowly occupation. He wasn't considered in the first round draft and if it hadn't been for the perceptive nature of God moving in the spirit and the heart of Samuel, he would have been completely overlooked. Later when David was sent to the battlefield after he was anointed to be the king, I really, really appreciated the point that Brother Herndon underlines so succinctly Sunday when he said, here is David called out of the field and he is anointed to be the next king of Israel. And you would just think that the caravan would be right there. The limo, the red carpet, taking him back to the palace. And there would be armed troops welcoming him, welcoming him to the throne. But it wasn't true. He was sent right back to the same sheep. He was sent right back to the same field. No fanfare, no applauding, no, no crowds cheering him. David was anointed, as he said Sunday, and sent right back to his same place. And then later when he was sent by his father to go check on his brothers to the battlefield to take them some food to see how things are going, he was once again assessed and challenged. He, when when, is, when, uh, when, when uh, Israel was being threatened by Goliath, he is assessed by his own brothers. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 and 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he was spaken to them and Elias' anger was kindled against David and he said, why camest thou down hither and, and with whom hast thou left 
those few sheep. Hear it again. Here it is again, that condescending, that dismissive nature of who is tending, not just tending the sheep, not who is just doing this lowly job, but Eliab is gonna twist the knife. And, and he said, who have you left those few, those few sheep with in the wilderness? And then he accused him of things that were not even alive in the heart of David. He said, I know thy pride and I know the naughtiness of thy heart. But you see, what Eliab revealed when he said that was he didn't know David at all. When he said, I know the pride of your life and I know the naughtiness of your heart was living proof that he didn't really know the younger brother he was accusing because David was anything but that and most certainly at this stage of his life. He said, they are just come down to see the battle. And the point is simply this, is that before David could become the king, he had to overcome his own father's opinion of him. And before he could conquer a giant, he had to overcome he had to overcome the past feelings of how his siblings felt about him. There were, there were some mountains that he had to climb in his own life. And I realize that as long as we keep the story of David just a little Bible story for children, that it just seems like it doesn't even register on the Richter scale of our heart. But this is a true life story that plays out every day, not only in, in the life of David, but in many lives even that are present here tonight. It seems that when God anoints us, the first battleground begins at home. If we bring this into a New Testament age, Jesus' first battle at the age of 12 was not with the devil. His first battle was not with some evil spirit. His first battle took place in the temple and it took place with the religious leaders. <laughs> not one blinded eye had been opened, not one deaf ear had been unstopped, and not one soul had been saved because he was too busy defending and fighting with those that should have been supporting him. And he's fighting off all of these accusations, none of which he is even guilty of. John 1 and 1 reminds us of something very sobering, and that is this, that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus got into more arguments with the Pharisees than he did with the devil. Actually, the devils listened to him <laughs> and the devils obeyed his command. That's right. And they ignored the things that he said. The Pharisees and the religious people of that day, they were the ones who killed him and they were the ones who tried to destroy everything that he tried to establish. And so if we now go back to our text. Joseph understood what was going on. Joseph was being very intentional in what he was establishing in this scripture text. Joseph was the anointed son from his birth. His name means Jehovah has added. Joseph was an anointed man, an anointed child when he came into this world. His birth was the catalyst that that, uh, that gave his father Jacob the courage to leave Laban's house and move out on his own. God was at work in the life of Joseph. Joseph was the son of travail. He was the result of many prayers that were made by his mother. I just preached a little bit about this on Sunday. Rachel pleaded with God, give me children or else I die. And so here is this child that is born as a result of much pain in prayer, not just pain in birth, but much pain in prayer and travail in prayer. 
Joseph was a child of promise, but he wasn't just a child of promise. He was a child of purpose. God didn't allow Joseph to be born so that he could have a trinket. God allowed Joseph to be born because he needed a tool. And I will tell you tonight that what God has birthed and is trying to birth in your heart is not so that he can just have another trophy to brag of, but God is wanting to give birth to something in all of our hearts so that we can be implements or instruments in God's hand. He was a child with a divine destiny flowing through his veins from his very birth. His father Jacob unwittingly, I believe, unwittingly made life so much more difficult for him by the favoritism that he showed him. However, this would be merely indicative of the future honors that God was going to bestow on him. His natural father had shown him favor and that probably led to some of his problems, but it was only a sign of what God was going to do in his life because he didn't just have the favor of his natural father, but his heavenly father had a divine eye on Joseph and was about to do something phenomenal in his life. This favored status, however, did not exempt Joseph from the problems, the pain, and the peril of life. From that harsh reality that all of us have to embrace is that everyone is going to have to face things in our life. Now, no one is... As, was as thrilled about the gift that God was stirring in the heart of Joseph as he was. Joseph was pretty excited about the things that the Lord was doing in his life. And I learned not only from the story of Joseph, but I've learned in my own life that you got to be careful who you share your dreams with. Because some people look at you crooked and other people just flat out talk about you. Amen. So you got to be really careful who you share your dreams with. And here's Joseph. In Genesis 37 and 4, the Bible says, And when his brethren saw, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. Now I want you to look at that last line. And could not speak peaceably unto him. When they saw the favor and the love that their father had for him, it stirred something in their heart. It was more than they could bear. And the scripture says that they could not even speak peaceably, not about him. They couldn't speak peaceably unto him. There was just a hatred in their heart in the house of his father where he should have been embraced, where he should have been loved. They could not even speak peaceably unto him. And I want you to note something here that this hatred preceded the dreams. Their hatred of him came before he ever was given a dream and certainly before he shared those dreams with them. In the very next verse, the Bible validates that. Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And so as Joseph begins to share his dream, as he begins to share what he feels that God is going to do in his life, the things that God had given him, they couldn't just speak peaceably unto him, but the Bible talks about their hatred, their hatred of him. Now there's no doubt in all of our minds it is so much easier to play you know, the game the next day. It's so much easier to look in the mirror and see how we should have done it. And, and there's no doubt in our minds that, that, that Joseph was a little bit unwise to say the things that he said. But you know, you should be able to make a few mistakes if you're at home. 
You should be given a little room if you're in the house of people that love you. If there's ever a place for charity to cover a multitude of sins, it should be in your own house. Somebody ought to give you a little bit of room. Amen. You ever had a bad moment and just popped off something that should have been addressed and somebody around you loved you enough to just hush? They, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> We're not all going to be together in a few minutes. You're going to have to go home. And you realize they could have fired back. You were wrong. They could, they could have been right, could have proven you wrong, and they could have won the argument. It could have escalated into a whole lot of nonsense, but somebody loved you enough to just say, you know, I'm just going to let that pass. <laughs> I'm just going to let that pass. So instead of guidance and understanding, Joseph got hatred from those that could have helped him, and then, then comes that day, that fateful day. Jacob sends him to the field, see how his brothers are doing. I realize my audience tonight, and I know that you know the story, but Genesis 37 and 18, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him before he even got there. And they said to one another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Hey, guys. Hey, fellas. Look and see who's coming. Here comes the dreamer. I'm not sure that they felt compelled to speak in hushed tones. They probably didn't mind him hearing them talking about the dreamer coming. They probably didn't mind him hearing and feeling and sensing their cynicism. A number of years ago, uh, um, we had some great friends who were evangelists and they were uh, down, uh, down, I believe they were down south in South Florida when this happened somewhere and irrespective that still happened and uh, they were their truck was giving them problems they were pulling their fifth wheel and they were trying to make it off of the interstate trying to get to help and and it was just this lone exit there was nothing there but just a little service station this kind of sounds like a scene out of a movie or something and so and so they they just pull off the 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 entrance or the exit ramp excuse me and and, and the truck dies, and so they're just left there. And the, the husband, he gets out, and he starts walking toward the service station, and there's two men that work at the service station. They're sitting out front, and they watch him coming, and they, they waited till he got within earshot, and one looked at the other and said, loud enough for him to hear it, here comes lunch. <laughs> here, here comes lunch. There's no competitor. There's no service station across the street. There's not another part store. You just got to keep walking and you know they are going to drill you in the ground. I just kind of think of that story when I think about Joseph coming up on his brothers. I, when, I, when they were talking about the dreamer coming, I don't think they felt any, I don't think they felt compelled at all to whisper. Here comes the dreamer. Look guys, here comes the dreamer. And in verse 20, come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast has devoured him and we will see what becomes of his dreams. We'll just see about the dreamer. Let's kill the dreamer. 
Joseph was oblivious to what they were truly planning, the cynicism in their heart, the murder that was in their heart. As a matter of fact, if it hadn't been for Reuben, we are fully led to believe they would have done that. But Reuben said, let's don't kill him, let's just sell him. Thank God for Reuben. He had no way of knowing what was before him or what kind of trap he was stepping into. So imagine his surprise when he found hatred instead of love. And I understand that that there had been a lot of animosity in their home, but David could have, or Joseph could have never surmised what was really going to unfold. And so the Bible says in verse 23, and it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren that they stripped him, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And so if I could just say this, they stripped him of his gift because that was a gift to his, of his father. They took the mantle of anointing out of jealousy. They took that anointing, they took that gift away from him that his father had given him because they didn't have that and they were jealous of that. And, and so their attempt was this, and, and this is just me and you don't have to accept this, but their attempt was this, if we take away your coat, you'll be like us. We can just make you like us. They threw him in a pit, sold him for 20 pieces of silver. He was sold like a common stranger, but listen to their logic. In verse 27, come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he's our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. What a seared conscience. He's our brother. We've got to look out for him. I hope we sold him to some good folks. <laughs> they didn't want God to kill. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't want to kill God's anointed. They just wanted to tie him up. So he couldn't flow in that anointing. So he couldn't move in that anointing. They wanted to just bind him so that anointing couldn't flow through him. They would, they would stop at nothing to try to take away the gift that was in his life. And so the point is that until a false accusation of, of his wife blinded his thinking, Potiphar, a man of the world, a very worldly man, thought more of Joseph than his own brother's. The baker and the butler and those that were in prison thought more of Joseph, those that he dealt with in the world, so to speak, than those of his own house. Now, again, I didn't come to this sacred desk tonight to just paint your world gray and leave. I believe there's a lesson in all of this, and I believe that we can find it in the very text where we are. The Bible speaks about people in Scripture being examples or insamples, as the Scripture calls it, a stamp, a mark. This is for a purpose or an intent. So the Bible narrative, this Bible narrative, I believe is no different. And here's the lesson, that before we can move into what God wants us to be, we must learn to forgive and forget our past hurts. We have to get past yesterday if we're ever going to spearhead into our tomorrow. After all that he had been through, Joseph learned this wonderful skill and that skill of just how to forget, how to just move on. You know, we say that term a lot, just forget it, just forget it. And I understand that we don't really even have the capacity to truly forget as in the sense of our mind just losing all recollection because even people uh, that are suffering from mental diseases, things can come back and, and in their mind that 
event in their life, whether that was positive or negative, can still all come back. It's right there. So it is the grace of God and the blood of Calvary that can help put a veil between our past hurts. And Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I've got to press. If I'm going to get into my future, then I've got to let go of my past. Now, if you know the end of the story, you know that his brothers eventually stood before him helpless and hungry, and they're asking for the very gift. They're asking him, maybe I should say, they're asking him to exercise the very gift that earlier in his, in his life they were trying to extinguish or destroy. The pendulum of life has completely swung in the other direction. They could have never dreamed that life would have taken this twist and that turn. And now they are unwittingly standing before the very brother that they sold into slavery. They were powerless and he was all powerful. It was within his power to destroy. It was within his power to crush, but he didn't do it. He could have exacted revenge on those that had hurt him so. He could have said, this is my day. And I know in that moment when our heart is wounded and our, and our heart is bleeding in our moment when our emotions are so bruised, we think in our minds because we're human, if I could ever settle the score. But I'm here tonight to tell you that Joseph is not the only one, but I'm sitting in a room full of people tonight that have learned the value of saying, you know what? When the pendulum of life swings back and you have the gauntlet in your hand, it just doesn't feel the same. If your heart is where it ought to be with God, we're gonna stand like Joseph and with God's grace, we're gonna give what should be given. Amen. Joseph sat and watched his brothers bow before him. Hmm. I'm just thinking that was a prime moment for a flashback. His brothers bow before him and before him, in living color, was the fulfillment of the dream that God had given him years earlier. His brothers bowing before him. I'm sure that the hurts of his father's house attempted to rush back and quiet those dreams and snuff out that flame of hope. But here it is. He had to reconcile all the scorn, the hard words, the stripping of his garment, being shoved into a pit, being sold, years of slavery, false accusations, false imprisonment, all the accusations, all the accusations, and all the confusion that come into his life. Years, in years, his hopes were raised only to be dashed again, to be raised only to be crushed again. And so now the choice is in Joseph's hands. Without hesitation, Joseph does what many of us need to do. He said, I've got to forget all the toil of my father's house. Right now, I've got to do what's right. I'm being called on to do what's right. He forgot the pain, the betrayal, and the ridicule, and instead of cursing, he brought blessing. And instead of justice, he showed mercy, and instead of vengeance, he forgave. It is a Bible story that we cannot afford to forget. Joseph was mightily blessed because he said, I've got to forget the toil of my father's house. I've got to get past my past. Amen. Our past leaves a forever mark. If we are wounded physically and the wound is significant enough, you will bear wounds in your body and it will always be a reminder. I remember many, many years ago going to a hospital room with Sister Kathy Townsend and Brother Daryl Townsend and he had injured his hand in an accident on the job of a garage door spring. 
And I notice from time to time when I'm, when I'm talking to Brother Darrell, I look down and I see that scar. It's a reminder. But I'm thankful that when I need to see him, he's not still laying over in the hospital. I'm thankful that if he didn't just send a note and say, if you need to get a message to me, you're going to have to come back here because I was wounded. I'm glad I don't have to go back to the job site where it all went wrong. I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to hear him regurgitating over and over and over either the manufacturer's flaw or the mistake that he made, whatever it may have been that caused this injury. I'm glad that I can speak to him now and would have the opportunity and the privilege to do that tonight in this very house, moving past that moment, long to be forgotten in his past, but still very much scarred, evident today that there was an injury and there was a past. But we gotta move, we gotta move beyond that. I'm going to surmise it wasn't the last garage door. I'm going to surmise that, and I know for a fact that he didn't change occupations. He didn't sell his hammer and his tool belt on eBay and said, I'm just moving on to something else. But we just got to say, Lord, I got to get past this. Whatever was the cause of this, I might have been at fault. I might have contributed to this. Joseph did contribute to some of that. He didn't deserve all of that, but he contributed to some of it. I may have contributed to some of this, but Lord, I've got to get past all of this. Amen. Now I'm going to ask our musicians to come. That gives you hope. The Bible tells us that Joseph had two sons, and so we're right back to where we started. Manasseh came first. Manasseh means forget. For God, he said, hath made me forget all the, my toil and all my father's house. But then there was a second son. Ephraim. Ephraim means doubly fruitful. I submit to you tonight that we cannot be doubly fruitful until we forget our injustices. Manasseh must be born in order for Ephraim to be born. We've somewhere got to forget the toil of my father's house and just keep moving. Last weekend, we were privileged to speak, my wife and I speak at our Florida North American Missions retreat and our out-of-state guest speakers were Brother and Sister Weber from the state of Louisiana. Brother Weber is the Louisiana North American Missions Director. I've met Brother Weber several years ago, uh, very, very informally at a general conference. We had never been really face-to-face. -face. And as we were in this meeting, and so I remember the very first night we, we got there, Brother Weber was seated when I um, walked in the room and, and he stood up and I just didn't think he was ever gonna stop standing. He just kept standing. He kept standing. <laughs> and for about 30 seconds, I felt like a 12-year-old. And I'm just going to be honest. I didn't tell him this, but I would. I was thinking, it would be so cool to be that tall. <laughs> Amen. 
<laughs> I, am, I am very average. Very average. How cool. But I can't camp out there. I can't start hating Daryl Weber. I can't start resenting people like that because for whatever reason, I got here and stopped. <laughs> I think it was a, a couple of incidents when I did wrong and my mother got a hold of me. I would have probably been a little taller. It hadn't been a couple of those little run-ins, but who knows. But if we can't get past the toil and let Manessa take life, there will never be an Ephraim in mother's womb. And I'm not trying to laugh us past the moment, but I want to tell you that, that we all need a Manessa in our life. And we may say, you, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I've been through. And you, you may be right about that. There's no way I can feel what you feel or you can feel what I feel, even if we describe our, our infractions in detail. We don't know the emotions by which each one of us weigh things individually. But you see, no matter what we've been through, and I don't mean that to, to take away from your pain, but no matter what we've been through, we need a Manessa moment to say, I have got to put this in the past. And the reason we need a Manessa moment so desperately is because we need an Ephraim to be born. We, need a, we want that double blessing. We want God to just reign over our home. We want the rainbow to perpetually stay there, but we're not willing to make room for Manessa to be born. Amen, let's stand. Now, no one can deny the fact that the Spirit of God has just been moving in such a mighty way. In the last several months, I know that, that when we first started this journey of COVID and, and all of the things, we were felt so discombobulated because we were. And we were trying to adjust to a new normal and things of that nature. But you know what? The church planed out. And the Spirit of the Lord never stopped moving. But you know what I mean. The presence of God just has been so rich and so real. But in the midst of a mighty move of God, if we're not careful, we can still allow yesterday to drain everything and to steal it all. I'll promise you tonight we could, we could write the saddest country song that's ever been written if just every one of you just loaned us six words. We could talk about our hurt, our pain, and it would be real, serious situations. But you see, that unless I allow a Manessa to be born in my spirit, then I cannot experience the fullness of that Ephraim double fruitful blessing amen I, I, I don't want to be lost in this house I don't want to be lost in this moment but I do want to forget the past because I want God to move doubly amen doubly so if I had begun if I had started tonight by just saying who would like a double blessing <laughs> that would have been wrong of me because everybody here would have raised your hand then we could take account at the end of the service says, who wants a double blessing? You see, the double blessing comes when I say, God, I'm willing to just, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do here. 
I got to set it down. I got to bury the hatchet handle and all. I got to do everything and just press on with you. Amen. There's a sweet presence of God. There's a healing presence of God. Why don't we entertain that right now? Lord, I love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.